Episode 102 of the Small Business Big Marketing Show. This is the episode where I encourage you not to be intimidated by your marketing and then Andrew Griffiths and I go head to head on a whole lot of issues that are on our business minds. Welcome to the Small Business Big Marketing Show where successful small business owners share their secrets to take your marketing to the next level. Now here's your host, Tim Reid. G'day everyone, welcome back to episode 102 of Australia's number one ranking small business marketing show. I'm your host, Timbo Reid. You're a motivated small business owner that wants to crush it with their marketing and we are brought to you by the very good folk at netregistry.com.au who will help you get your business sorted online. Big show today. Actually, before I tell you about the big show today, which I promise it is, Before I hit record, I just made myself one of the great coffees, or at least one of the great coffees that I've ever made. And I wish I understood coffee as well as I understand marketing because um, coffee's one of my passions, but I just don't get it. I I can buy a coffee one day that is an absolute ripper, the next day go to the same place and it's a shocker. And it just amazes me how varied it can be. Um, if anyone knows, um, please let me know. I want to learn more about coffee. Um, now, I digress. I digress. Um, in today's show, got some really good uh, feedback from a listener who's embarked on my online communications masterclass. Uh, Andrew Griffiths and I go head to head in our second episode of what we have going to, what is now called Funny Business. That'll be the segment of the show where Andrew Griffiths and I, Andrew is. Australia's number one small business author with 11 books under his belt. So um, not to be sneezed at, guys, and Andrew and I are going to get together one in every four episodes of Small Business Big Marketing and and talk all things business, or at least things business that are on our mind. Um, Wanted to talk to you about some feedback I got from a listener recently who bought my online marketing communications masterclass. I'll put a link to that masterclass in the show notes of this episode, which is episode 102 at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com. The masterclass goes through everything. It's 16 hours, basically, of webinar video, recorded webinar video, um, in which I cover branding and then bring in some marketing specialists around copywriting, website development, how Google works, Facebook ads, Twitter, video marketing, outsourcing. I mean, you name it. Um, We cover a lot of marketing ground, let me tell you. Um, And VJ, what's VJ? VJ Sitaram actually sent me a note saying how much he was benefiting from the masterclass. And but just made the point in this note that he said, marketing is one of those things that I found quite intimidating up until getting this hold of this masterclass. And it just reminded me that, you know, I deal in marketing every day and, and and don't find it intimidating, whereas many, many people out there clearly are finding it intimidating. Mm-hmm. And what I would say to anyone who is finding their marketing intimidating is just take action, move forward with it. Because, you know, what intimidation does is it stops us in our tracks. It stops us from doing stuff. When we feel intimidated, we feel fear. 
And when we feel fear, it's like, I, I, can't, I don't know which way to move, so I'll just stagnate. And you don't want to do that in your business or your marketing. So if you are feeling a bit intimidated or fearful around your marketing, do stuff. Introduce a new idea. Go back into past episodes of small business, big marketing and grab ideas there. Um, stop doing some marketing that's not working and replace it with a new marketing initiative. Um, do something like the masterclass and learn something new. But just move forward. Just because you don't have a complete understanding of a particular area of marketing doesn't mean you shouldn't do it, you know? If you've heard about video marketing, grab your iPhone and go and shoot a video of you answering the five most frequently asked questions um, that you continually get asked and upload it to YouTube. Just do it. Don't look for Hollywood production. That's just an example. So um, VJ goes on to say that... um, Your exercise of developing a brand brings the ideas of brand together very well and has clear and powerful outputs. Most importantly, it was fun. And you know what? Marketing is fun. I really believe that. You know, marketing marketing's what you do when you can't go and see someone. That's a great old saying that an old ad guy from the 1950s said. And what he means by that is Create marketing and in, in your mind, pretend you are communicating one-on-one with a prospect, okay, and create your marketing that way. So it takes the pressure off having to appeal to this massive group of people, right? Have fun with your marketing. Don't feel intimidated. Take action. Now, what else have we got? Um, the guys at Net Registry. Please, if you are feeling intimidated with your online marketing, go and visit netregistry.com.au because they'll sort you out with domain names, hosting, website development, website design. They'll get you found online through pay-per-click advertising like Google AdWords and Facebook ads. They'll get your search engine optimized. They'll do the lot. Um, visit netregistry.com.au uh, or flick me a note to tim at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com and I will introduce you to Sam Shetty at NetRegistry, who is an online marketing master and he'd be willing to have a one-on-one with you. Um, thanks, NetRegistry, for supporting this show. Massively appreciated. Now, let's get stuck into a chat Andrew Griffiths and I had this week about a number a number of different issues in on our business minds, including a modern family moment that him and I had uh, recently after a lovely lunch in Melbourne. Um, we discuss a first world marketing problem that I experienced at a first class, at a, what do you call a first class, at a five-star hotel last week. We go into the importance of backing yourself. We ask the question, is it enough to meet customer expectations? You may be surprised by our answer to that, or at least mine. And we share our biggest marketing mistakes ever. Not sure if there's enough time to cover all that, um, but we give it a damn good try. In fact, we do cover it all. But, uh, you know, to, to come clean with your biggest marketing mistakes ever, you need more than an hour to do that. So maybe we'll continue that discussion in an upcoming episode as well. So... Sit back, grab a cuppa, um, pen and paper at the ready, lots of marketing gold to be shared. Here's Andrew and I with the second episode of Funny Business. Andrew Griffiths, welcome back to Funny Business. How are you, mate? Mate, I'm feeling particularly funny. Particularly funny. Excellent. Now, that that is uh, very good because we can now formally announce that Funny Business is the name of this new segment of (laughs) the Small Business Big Marketing Show. 
And, and I particularly like the photo of the, uh, the of the two uh, chimpanzees, which uh, is more relevant than uh, anyone probably needs to know. Yeah, yeah, correct, <laughs> correct. And uh, that was a, that, that was a that photo won't be there for long. We will get a much more uh, you know appropriate photo of, of us, but that's not important right now. What is important are our listeners, and we've got a fair bit to cover, mate. Um, I was, I was thinking before, you know, like the premise of funny business is, you know. Is, is to talk about the funny side of business, not always, you know, to be comedians, but just to um, business can be quite serious, can't it? Oh, look, it can. I spend, I seem to spend half my life at conferences where uh, where people just seem to take things a little bit too seriously. I, uh, talking about funny, I did have a funny experience uh, yesterday. I was presenting all day at a conference and I opened up as an MC and it was an economic development planning association conference. Now, if that doesn't get the juices flowing, what? what? Oh, sorry, mate. Sorry, what was it? What was it? Conference. And, uh, and what I did, though, was I said, okay, I'd, I had a quick look online to see what day was it around the world, and it was International Talk Like a Pirate Day. And, uh, and so I, I got up and started talking like a pirate, got all these guys to be talking, <laughs> arr, 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 and, and uh, sh- g- gave them the top ten pickup lines from the pirate world, told them about a, a talklikeapirate.com, which, of course, you need an official website if you're going to have do, a day. absolutely. Which I'd like to also say has translations in Mandarin, German, and Swedish uh, for any of the budding pirates that are out there. My and, uh, goodness! It, and you know, everyone had a blast, and 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 I, and I think that and the, the theme carried out throughout the day, and they made a paper parrot and gave me a paper parrot, through, you know, all these funny little things. And and I do think you can talk business and really enjoy it and have fun at the same time. Total, I don't absolutely feel agree. So. I absolutely yeah. agree. And um, funny you mentioned, completely as an aside, that whole strategy of, of creating a national day around your category, it, it's been around for a while, but I interviewed um, Flip Shelton, who has Flip's Muesli, uh, a few months ago on Small Business Big Marketing, and she um, she has a very boutique Muesli brand within Australia, and subsequently she created a porridge brand, and she's created National Porridge Day. Hmm. What a uh, wonderful idea. Absolutely. <laughs> Taking the lead, a small business doing big marketing. And off the back of National Porridge Day, and as a result of that interview, National Tracky Pants Day contacted her, and they are doing some stuff together. So um, I love how the world turns. Mate, you have got, we have got some stuff to cover. I'm going to let, let you go. start. All right. Now, uh, okay, you and I, uh, we had a meeting uh, recently in Albert Park. Uh, uh, yes, we, we did. We, very, very important. Strategic planning, formal meeting uh, in a pet shop <laughs> yep. in, in Albert Park, <laughs> which, of course, was wonderful. Mate, share your thoughts with me on that on that, on that, that meeting. Uh, well, okay, the background, we'd had a, a very nice lunch in Albert Park, a suburb of Melbourne. Uh, we went for a wander through the streets. Um I felt it was a bit of a modern family moment because um, for people who don't know what we look like, um, I don't look like anyone out of modern family, but you do. And <laughs> and I don't know the guy's name, but it's the big fat gay one. And um, it was a very, it was a modern family moment. So here, here's Andrew and I walking through the streets of Albert Park. We hit upon a pet shop. Uh, we both love our dogs and um, we walk in like a couple of, um, just a happy couple, really. Um and we, we skipped in holding hands. We didn't skip in, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> neither of us would skip. Our knees wouldn't hold us. Um, we walked in and, first of all, a, a, it's a fantastic pet shop, so we want to talk about that and what made it a great retail shop. But it was weird because we'd walked in. Andrew's from Cairns, which is like 4,000 kilometres away from that pet shop, 
and there were two elderly ladies in there who said what? Uh, they said that it's a lot. It's a lot cooler down here. I think wasn't it? Was their line? Yeah, yeah. And, and you and I were chatting intently, going, and they said it loudly so that we would hear. Yeah. Which was a strange thing in its own right, and of course I looked over my shoulder at them, and and they're people from Cairns. That is as, extraordinary, uh, as is want to be these days. Yeah, and it's an interesting kind of point though that in its own right, Tim. Before we even talk about the pet shop, though, yeah. is something that I've really, you know, over the years, you know, as I travel around and present more, you encounter more people from uh, from presentations you've done, workshops, people that maybe have seen you in the media or seen you on TV or whatever it might be, and it's interesting. Because I, I find that you've got to be careful about protecting your brand, your mm-hmm. own personal brand at all times. You, you're always a, an advocate. If you and I had walked in there and, you know, kicked the dog that was there and started swearing and we were obnoxious or whatever, you know, you can erode your brand at any minute. And, and I'm so acutely aware of that wherever I go. I'm always on my best behaviour yep. uh, because of that. Not that I would be doing anything. I guess it's not relevant. But it just strikes home to me that when you have those wonderful experiences of, of those random interactions and you go, you know what? You never know who you're going to run into. You never know who's going to read what you write when you put things on your blog. Or does, it, does that mean, therefore, I, I, I agree with what you're saying to a point, but does it mean that you have to be someone that you're not or can't oh. be completely yourself, more to the point? I don't think so. I mean, for me, it certainly isn't like that. Uh, It's just a matter of, uh, uh, I think, just being a little bit more careful about what you are. You are under the microscope, and we all are in many ways. I take my brand very seriously, and it's something that I want to do is protect my own personal brand. So so I would be on my best behaviour, I guess, at all times as Mm. a result of that. I mean... Is that uh, how I would be differently if I didn't think there was anyone there? Well, actually, probably no. I would act exactly the same. Mm. But uh, but I guess it's uh, sometimes, uh, yeah, I, I think sometimes people forget that. I, I mean, I, I had a, a friend of mine who's uh, in the tourism industry and he's quite a leader in the tourism industry. And a little while back, you know, he got horribly drunk and ended up falling asleep out the front of a casino. Yeah, you now, don't do that. that. Is that a good look for your own personal no. brand? And, no. and of course, people got a photo of him and all the rest of it. And you're going, really? You know, you just, I, I don't know. I, I think these days there's so many, there's so many opportunities for people to kind of pick up on what you're doing. You just, you know, where if we want to be truly successful, you got to protect your brand. I, I just think that's the moral to the story for that one. So I agree, and there's probably a, a, another discussion on another funny business around the whole idea of personal branding. So here, here's Andrew and I, modern family moment in an Albert Park up upmarket pet shop, mate. What a great store! What I loved about it, and, and it is actually a, a pretty well regarded pet shop in Melbourne anyway, but what I love about that shop and that I don't see enough retail outlets doing was A, and I hate this word and I don't know another word to use, it's authenticity. Mm. Not not only did the owner of the store greet us when we walked in, her two dogs greeted us. (laughs) And there's a a joke there and it's not two dogs in in that. (laughs) So these two yappy dogs just ran up to us and yapped at our feet and it was like, well, yeah, it's a pet shop. That's great that there's 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 pets running around. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But also, wasn't the lady behind the counter? She came up and and said, "Oh, you know, hey, welcome us into the shop." She the first thing when she realised that I was from Cairns as well as the other two ladies. Yeah. First thing she said after that was, "You know, we ship." And, uh, yeah. and I thought, 
interesting, you know, like straight away, this is a smart lady. First thing she's going, okay, these guys are having a, a, a modern family moment. They won't yep. want to be carrying stuff around together uh, down the streets of Albert Park. So she said they shipped and then she told me about her website. Go online, you can buy it. Gave me her business card. All those kind of things. And you know. and she's got on her window, uh, which is quite an arresting little message. It says, we, we never close. Um, open 24 hours a day. And then very smartly underneath, she's got a website address. Uh, wonderful. Now, now, what's interesting, I mean, some people might go, well, there's nothing overly remarkable about that. And you go, you know what? Actually, there is. Yeah, there is. How often do you go into a shop where you actually do get that kind of, you know, interaction, that kind of engagement, that kind yep. of friendliness, that kind of smarts? There was a lot of emotional intelligence shown by that lady simply by realising that uh, I was from out of town, realising the connection with the other ladies, the the whole yep. shipping, the whole online, the whole layout, the whole quality. I, I mean, and I would certainly go back there in a heartbeat. It, it, it actually raises that whole, and you and I have been doing a bit of work on developing pitch, pitching, getting our pitching skills right. Um, um, uh, over the last few months. And what she did was a similar role that you should do in pitching, which is establish what the, when someone says, what do you do? Establish what they do first so that you can frame your pitch so it hits them between the eyes. And what she did was understand a little bit about you, uh, even though you didn't know it was happening, um, before she, I guess, effectively pitched her business to you. And, and everything she said to me was relevant because she had figured out where I was from, because yep. she figured out that, uh, you know, we're obviously dressed pretty well. I was probably dressed better than you, of course. You always are. But, but you know, that's uh, it's part of being a TV celebrity or modern family, <laughs> of course. But, but going, <laughs> your own lunchbox. You and, and love then, your blue and white striped business shirt, <laughs> mate. I tell you, I've got to get you something. I've got to get you into something more. But anyway, that's another discussion. But it was an interesting point, again, that you're right. When people are pitching and saying, what do they do? Whenever someone says, what do you do? The first thing you got to do is probably put it back on them. you got to find out what they need as opposed to telling them what they do. I mean, I was in the cruise industry, in the tourism industry for years, and I would turn around to people and go, okay, once I found out what their customers were like, if their customers were really old and rickety, I'd tell them that our cruises were perfect for them. If their customers were Contiki, 18 to 35-year-old party animals, I would tell them our cruises are perfect for them. You would just, you would highlight different things. Right. Otherwise, you highlight the fact that they'll be home in time, you know, at five o'clock in time for dinner. There's cups of tea all day long. There's comfortable chairs. There's a big buffet lunch of seafood. The young guys, you tell them when the bar opens, you tell them, about the helicopter Is this ride. the same cruise? Same cruise. Exactly the same cruise. Andrew, but I feel yeah. like you're misleading your customers. Absolutely not. I was telling the total truth. Yeah. And, the, and the young guys were back at town at 5 o'clock in time for the local blues bar to open. You know, so um, it's, again, you've got to tailor what you're saying to, to, to your audience. And, and I think too many people just... This is what I do, blurt, and blurt it all out, and their pictures is is not customised, and hence why they don't have a conversion rate because they I, I think they miss the mark. So the greatest salespeople in the world are the ones who ask the best questions. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, one other thing, or well, there's, there's many things about that shop, but we won't go into too much more detail. Another thing that struck me with that pet shop in Albert Park is they have a massive range, and um, Within, within you know, like leads, they've got about 40 different leads. Within bowls, they've got about 20 different bowls. And I just wonder, one part of me thinks, wow, that's pretty amazing. But I also aware of that market research that was done many years ago by a jam company that 
uh, figured out that when they offered 25 flavours, they didn't get many sales. But when they got it down to the three best flavours, sales went through the roof because we hate choice. Uh, and what did you think? I mean, impressive range, but as, as, a, as a retail business, do you like a, a large amount of choice or less? For me, I do. I personally like choice, like a bookshop. Give me a bookshop with a lot of choice as opposed to a, a bookshop that has less choice but more copies of individual books. And this is a strategy that retailers have two very distinct strategies. And uh, so it's either that, choice, 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 or it's less choice but more quantity. In bookshops, for example, the, the ones that have, say, if you said 10 titles and 100 copies of each title, so there's not as much depth, but they will tend to sell more books than those that have a lot of, like, 100 titles and 10 copies of each. Really? Do you know what I'm Yeah, that's generally the way it works, and that's why um, I think that's why that evolved, and that's why you'll see in, in the large department stores that are now selling books uh, in bulk that that's the way that they operate. Well, that's so, interesting because I go into a big bookshop and I find it a, a really nice experience to just be able to wander through so many books, but then yesterday I was at the airport, and I do love bookshops at the airport because they actually have very limited choice, but they've put a lot of work into what they're going to sell, and they're generally just all the best titles. Well, it is, and if they're not selling, they don't last at an airport bookshop for very long either. And that's you know that's that's how it works in those particular environments. Mm. But of course, we're also dealing now with online buying, and you go into an online site such as Amazon, and of course, there's yeah. only four or five million topics in there that you can buy. It's yep. just such a phenomenal thing with no real idea on the on the stock. We don't know if they've got a million books there or if they've got clue. kind of copies of the book. And often they don't even carry any of the product; it's through a third party. So. I think hey, like all those things, these trends are changing a little bit, so... Hey, I met at a barbecue, uh, unrelated. I'm good at going unrelated, aren't I? I just sort of veer, I sort of veer off, you know. Oh, there's something, we should have a look at that. Bright, shiny object. But I was at a barbecue um, on the weekend and I met the fellow whose business is... He has the business that in uh, when, someone, when someone in Australia buys something on Amazon, Victoria's Secrets, um, those B- eBay, no, not eBay, just Amazon and Victoria's Secrets, um, they, Amazon or Victoria's Secrets send it to his depot in one of three states in America and then he brings it into Australia. Um, business mm. is absolutely booming and just as a little bit of uh, trivia, 15 tonne of lingerie he brings into Australia through Victoria's Secrets every month. 15 tonnes. 15 tonnes. Now, now, unless lingerie's got heavier uh, <laughs> over the last few years, from memory, it's a fairly light item. So that's a lot of lingerie. That's amazing, isn't it, God? Yeah. It's interesting. It's just, again, it's just part of this reflection of how the world is changing, you know, and, and I know we all talk about it a bit ad nauseum and all that kind of stuff, but I, I think uh, that we're talking about this and understanding it, but these kind of facts and figures to me are fascinating because it's part of that, wow, how the world is. It's, it's actually a, a great visual way to imagine 15 tonnes of lingerie being tipped. <laughs> Is like wow, that's a, that's an incredible per month. I mean, one hundred and eighty tons a year. Yeah, I know, Sorry, I know. I'm, like uh, that's it's what, an what, amazing. What, what would the average? Yeah, but what, what would average G string weigh, Andrew? Oh, not not, not yours. <laughs> but let's move on because I Sorry. want to talk about another topic. I came across a website. You're like a some- you're like a school teacher. You didn't you didn't even want to go down that that comedy okay. route. <laughs> because I see that to me, I want to class uh, this this podcast. Oh, here we go, classy guy. Yeah, yeah. Here we go, protecting his brand. I'll break <laughs> you down by the end of this show, mate. I'll have you drinking out of your slipper. 
<laughs> Go on, next topic. Have you heard of a website called willitblend.com? I have and I love it. Okay, tell tell everyone what it is. So uh, it is the the funny website of a serious blending uh, product, Blender, uh, and basically the host, uh, they put out a video often and they blend something. They might blend an iPad, they might blend a split level, they might blend a packet of corn chips to demonstrate just how damn good their blenders are. And, and isn't it wonderful? I came across it at a conference and uh, and actually what uh, someone showed the video clip and they had literally blended an iPad. So they broke the iPad in half, put it in a blender, blended the thing, tipped it upright and this pile of goopy stuff, you know, grey, dusty stuff, which would have to be carcinogenic, I'm sure, yeah. kept the other end. But the most wonderful thing about it is the fact that the guy who hosts this show, and he acts a bit like a, a mad scientist, I guess you would say, it's, it's, it's all kind of cheeky and all the rest of it. He's the CEO of the company. Is that a fact, is it? Apparently so. And it's like, yeah, how cool is that? And so people write in and go, okay, can you blend this? And they've blended gravel, they've blended all these crazy kind of things. And I've got to say, you go, isn't that kind of funny and, you know, all that stuff. But also, how powerful is that to actually, I mean, that's got to be a pretty seriously good blender. Like really. Seriously good. You look at that and go, it can blend for me. I'm watching an iPad and feeling quite emotional about <laughs> an iPad getting blended. But, of course, going, wow, that's really good. I, I think I need one of these. I've got no idea why. I don't need to blend an iPad. I'm sure if we could do an iPad, it could probably handle a banana. But, yeah. but you look at it and go, wow, it's all about backing your product. And that's what I love. So you're actually putting your product and showing that it can do this. But you've also got the CEO of the company is the guy who's actually driving this mad science experiment. And that, to me is really, really important that, that these days just saying your product is good is not enough. You mm. know, you've mm. you got to back it 100%. And can can, can I just a point there? This is a, a willitblend.com is a fantastic site. Go and look at it at many levels, at a humour level, at a marketing level. Um, it's a great example of saying, you know, sure, if, as you said, if a blender can blend an iPad, then it can blend anything. And I was talking to a client about this, a coaching client of mine the other day, um, he has a time-lapse photography business and he sets time-lapse photography cameras up in the most bizarre of places, you know, 50 degree heat of the desert, um, all sorts of places. And we were talking about the fact that that is actually a really interesting case study because if you can create a series of time-lapse photography shots where you've put a camera up in the belting sunlight, you know, sand, heat, all those conditions and get a good result, then you can do it anywhere. Um, and, you know, similar type thing. And I think the, the, the lesson there for, for our listeners is like, have a think of those times, those case studies where you've achieved something in the most extreme of conditions. And it doesn't have to be physically extreme. It can be, you know, pressure, uh, time pressure, budget pressure, whatever it is, and use them as case studies because what what prospects will, go, will think is, wow, if he or she can do it in those conditions, then my challenge is, is a walk in the park. Absolutely, and 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 I think that what we need to be doing, you know, in, in, the thing for me that that resonates, I guess, the most with WillItBlend.com is the concept of backing yourself one hundred percent in any shape or form. Now, um, a, a very short story about that was everyone knows Zippo lighters. We've all had Zippo lighters in the past. Wave them around at at ABBA concerts and things. <laughs> like that. And you, you, uh, don't, don't 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 put your stuff on me. All right. Uh, and um, I've never had a Zippo lighter. I do like them, and I didn't get to an ABBA concert. I actually had a ticket, and I was sick. 
Ah, uh, okay. All right. But anyway, I digress. Go on. Okay, you're digressing. But the, the, but with the Zippo lighter, there was an interesting concept. When they came out, at the time, I think it was in the 30s, matches were everywhere. They were readily available. You could, you know, the matches were given away and they were the kind that just kind of you could um, you could just rub them against anything and they would ignite. So the concept of people buying a lighter, this expensive kind of a lighter at the time, all made of brass and all the rest of it, was and you had to fill it up and all that kind of jazz. It's like, well, who the heck needs it? Why do you need it when there's matches everywhere? And the company started to go, broke. It was a great idea, but it went broke. They'd spent all the family money and all the rest of it. The turning point for the company came when they said, we're going to offer an unconditional lifetime guarantee. You buy a Zippo lighter once, it's guaranteed for life, and a brass lighter is going to last a long, long time. Then the army bought thousands of them to give to troops, and other people started to buy them and all the rest of it. And and it, it, to me, it illustrates a point way back, and, and it's about we have to back ourselves. We have to believe hundred percent in our products. We got to we got to use our products. We've got to you know. I, I loved it so much. I bought the company kind of uh, you know thing, and that's why I think someone like Richard Branson is so successful. You know, he's always you know yeah. standing with a Virgin plane behind him. He's always flying on a Virgin plane. Of course, what else would he be doing? But yeah, what I mean, what do you think about that, Tim? You no, know? I, absolutely. I think that like, offering a guarantee. There, there is two arguments to it. So the backing yourself, standing behind what it is you do. I, I do love guarantees. And they do stand out, um, absolutely. Another part of me thinks, you know, gee, you know, like if, if you work hard enough in your marketing materials that you make it really clear what it is you do, what it is you sell, what are the deliverables, deliverables what people get, demonstrate extreme value, then do you still need to guarantee everything? Well, I think you can do it a bit differently, though. For me, you know, like money back guarantee, I've offered that for years, 100% guarantee. You don't pay till you're happy with what I've done. And no one has ever not paid mm. from that view. But what I've done that I think has been a little bit different and I think a great area, at least it's worked well for me, is if I'm quoting on a project, say it's a large-ish project, whatever kind, the last page of, of my quote, I'll have a list of 10 people. And these are the, the, the last 10 projects that I've done. There's a contact name of the person in charge, their direct phone number and their email. And I, and my statement is basically, if you need to verify that I'm going to deliver and exceed your expectations, then call any of these people or all of these people and let them verify. Yeah, I um, like that. And I tell you what, it is very powerful. And I get more projects from that one page. No one ever rings them. Mm. One says, wow, that's really, you know, putting it on the line, isn't it? Yeah. And so we can all make these great offers. We can all say, um, I've never actually seen anyone do a brochure that says, hey, look, we're actually really crap at what we do, but I tell you, how about you just give us a go because we're really nice people, you know? Where every brochure, every bit of marketing material says how fantastic we are. Not a bad idea. I might try that, though. <laughs> challenge the category. Challenge the challenge the way it's... <laughs> But it's interesting, again, to be able to say, well, if you don't take my word for it, contact these people, you know, contact those. And, and, and I think, again, we need to do that. And I think part of the world that's changing and looking at trends and seeing that is, is consumers and our clients, and we're all in that category, we don't necessarily believe everything we read. We don't necessarily believe everything we're told. Mm -hmm. Far more educated and probably a little bit more cynical these days about We are a lot more marketing literate these days. There is no doubt about it. 
So, so based on that, I think we've got to find different ways to kind of leverage our, our, you know, our abilities and our ability to deliver on what we're promising more than anything else. So, so I'm a really big advocate of that. I say to people, you know, you've got to show who your clients are, who you've done work for, you've got to have testimonials, you've got to give people numbers so that they can ring them and say, well, Andrew said he did a great job on that project, but did he? You know, did he really or is it just... Yeah. Um, all those kind of things. I've just been, um, I've made an effort um, over the last couple of weeks, actually speaking of testimonials, just um, made a list a couple of weeks ago of work that I'd done for companies over the last six to 12 months and just sent them a note asking very nicely, um, if they're up for it, could they write me a testimonial and actually put it on, do it via LinkedIn. So therefore I achieve two two things. A, I get, you know, boost my reviews within LinkedIn and I get a testimonial that I can use in my marketing materials. Hey, um, I just want to thank you at this point about the sort of the 24 minute mark, AG, because um, I feel as though I've actually got, I reckon I've been speaking, not probably for 50% of the time, but I reckon a good 35 to 40%. So I just feel, I don't know, I feel valued. <laughs> hey? Because <laughs> you're a machine. I mean, you, you, uh, I said it last episode, but you can speak underwater with a mouthful of marbles while eating a pie. <laughs> what else and- you got, mate? Thing to all of our listeners out there, that we should have a we should have a, a worm at the end of it, write in and tell us about the the, the, the you know how was the content uh, the amount for each of us and and that's yeah. like, want more from me I understand yeah, yeah now, right to the next one mate now listen you've had a bit of a bad experience <laughs> now you were staying in a hotel recently I assume it was one of those hotels that you book by the hour uh-huh. uh, and you know tell us mate you've you got a point that you want to make well. Better. It wasn't by the hour. It was by the half day. Um, no, not true. So I feel like this is a bit of a first world problem that I'm about to share with you. And it absolutely, it actually, it actually is. But uh, and it, this is not a whinge about staying at a five-star hotel and getting bad service. But let me explain. So uh, I was in Sydney a couple of days ago. I stayed at a, at a, at a five-star hotel. They told me it was, it, it was labelled a five-star hotel. A um, few things happened. Um light switch didn't work when I arrived. It was a bit tired. You know, I really think if you're going to call yourself five-star, then, and I'm, that's this is subjective, but the, the, the bed, the furnishings, they were a bit dated, you know, and I, I love the 70s and 80s, but just felt a bit dated. Uh, light switch didn't work when I got in the room. I rang down for some room service uh, when I checked it. Once I'd got the stuff in the room, uh, phone didn't work, <laughs> going beautifully. I hop in the lift, go down to see the porter, ask him, you know, uh, could he contact the kitchen and order something? He got onto the two-way radio and couldn't contact the kitchen. He said, look, sorry about this. I will uh, call you when um, I'll call you once I've contacted the kitchen and we'll sort it out. Well, um Phone didn't work, so he couldn't call me, and I never heard from him, him again. And it, it, a few other things happened. This is not a whinge about f- staying at a five-star hotel and getting poor service. My question is, and I wanted to comp- – oh, actually, what I wanted to do was actually just share my grievances with the manager, and they had, without getting onto social media and being a dibba-dobba, you know, they had a form in the room that I could fill out but there was no way of um, doing it in a kind of way that there was no envelope I could put that form in. I would have needed to f- hand that form in to the guy behind the, the reception at the end about, for, yeah. for everyone to read, and I didn't want to do that. So I, I ended up doing nothing. I could have rung the manager and all that, but I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not actually not that much of a whinger of a complainer, but I thought, you know, they probably should know because it wasn't a cheap place to stay. But 
So should small businesses make it really easy for customers to complain? It's, it's a really interesting point, actually. I, I think look, I am one of those people that will write to the CEO of a company. Wow. I'll, right, I'll send them a letter. I'll send them a fax. I'll find out who's running that flaming joint, <laughs> and I will tell them what I think. I'll give them my two bobs worth. And now, it doesn't mean I'm a serial pest. No one's actually put a restraining order on me right. at this stage yes. of the game. But it's very interesting to see how people respond to complaints, and it's a very much a mark of a company. And uh, and I've had some incredible responses that I might add in situations that have been major disasters at five-star hotel levels or higher car levels or or whatever the case may be. So so first and foremost, I think we should be doing it because I think that uh, – that um, you know, that's how we all kind of get better in our business, and and from that point of view. But it's interesting how that's changed now, because what is going on now is people aren't filling in those forms anymore for exactly the same reasons, Tim. That going, well, I'm going to fill in and, and say, well, that sucked, and then I'm going to give it to someone who's going to read it and decide whether or not to actually keep it. Mm. Because if you want to look for bad customer service forms, most of them are in the bin um, because no one wants to get into trouble. But what is happening is people are really have the ability now to log their complaints on social media. TripAdvisor. And there are people that are trying that. Now, I'll give you an example here. I was checking into a hotel to run a, a course for the hotel, a workshop on customer service. And it was, without a doubt, the worst check I've ever had. You've got no idea. It was a nightmare. And an incredibly rude young lady who basically told me to go away and come back in four hours. And I'm saying, well, I'm starting a workshop in an hour. I need wow. a room etc etc so I tweeted this and said funny enough I'm checking into XYZ hotel uh, to teach them about customer service and it's the worst customer service I've ever experienced at check-in within 15 seconds they the company in America had tweeted me back this I was checking into a hotel in Port Douglas yep. they tweeted me back said please give us the name of the hotel and they rang me and next thing there's a is there a mr. Andrew Griffiths in the foyer can you please come to the phone and it was their American um, you know, it's customer service people right. asking, it's a problem, put us back through, just hang up and we'll go back through to reception and manage it. So interestingly enough... Hang on, can I just understand that? So you've checked into a hotel in Australia, you've had poor service, you've tweeted it, the holding the parent company of that hotel group in America see that tweet within 15 seconds, respond to it via paging you in the reception... They responded to me to say, where are you? Can we? What can we do to help? And I said, I'm in Port Douglas. They rang the hotel and then they paged me there. So I'm sitting there. I've retweeted and back next there's a phone call for me saying, uh, Mr. Griffiths, come to the phone and it's Sheila or whatever her name is. And I'm probably not Sheila. Probably wasn't Sheila being in America. Pam in America saying, Mr. Griffiths, this is terrible. What can we do? What's the problem? I said, I just need to check into the hotel. You know, check in time's two o'clock and I'm, I'm here. But the uh, very rude lady's kept me waiting for a couple of hours. Anyway, it was all sorted out in a couple of minutes and uh, and it was put together and, and I and I talk about this um, quite often. What the problem is, is a lot of people are checking social media for complaints and large companies are doing that. Uh, you write anything bad about a company and they're teaching us to complain on Twitter because they respond so quickly now because everyone's terrified of any you know negative comments being online. But, um, but the problem is they're not that good at dealing with the complaints at a ground level, face-to-face. And and realistically, you know, look, my take on it is if someone's got a complaint to make about my business or anything that I'm doing, want to hear like, it? 
done in a constructive way and it's realistic, you want to at least have the chance to defend it. But more importantly is to go, well, thanks so much for sharing that because often we don't even know. You know, we don't even know that there's a problem. And, and, I, and I admire anyone who does complain in a proactive way because I think it's part of the process. We've, we've got to learn to get better at it and managing our complaints. In fact, we're getting worse. Most people do go on the aggressive front foot. Well, what do you mean you're waiting? Why didn't you come up early to the check-in? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you mm. do that? Going well, gee, sorry, I'm sorry for being an inconvenience here. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I'll, it's okay. I'll sleep in the car park under the palm tree. <laughs> well, yeah, gee, that's interesting. That, that's a great story, and and I just think I, I even with small business, big marketing, you know, I get a lot of emails and iTunes reviews of people saying how much they've appreciated the show, benefited from the show, implemented the ideas, which is great. At, at, at an ego level and a confirmation that, hey, I'm doing the right thing level, that's ace. But I actually also really appreciate, and as you say, I think the word constructive feedback, uh, cr- constructive criticism is is even more valuable. You know, someone saying, oh, I think you rattled too long about this or, geez, I wish you'd ask these questions to that person or whatever it may be, That that's when you can make these little pivots and, and change your business for the better. And we have this wonderful resource now where you can kind of do it quickly. Also, anyone in business now who, and look, for those of you who don't use Twitter, this will sound a bit like I'm talking a foreign language, but you should have, for those of you who do, a hashtag with your business name, you know, that you follow just so you do know what people are saying about your business on the Twitter sphere, because otherwise you won't know, you probably won't automatically have it come up in searches and things. But is the weapon of people who complain, you know, because it's it's they get frustrated, they can fix it up. I've seen so many stories about how people now go, I'm standing in line, it's driving me nuts, you know, there's the, a the person behind the counter chewing gum, ignoring us, etc. Et Those things are, are what people say on Twitter. They don't tend to do it on Facebook, I don't think. They don't tend to blog about it. By that time, we've all moved on, forgotten about it, whatever the case may be. But Twitter is very interesting. You think if you've got a couple of thousand followers and you're slagging off and complaining about a company would justifiably, you know, that's a couple of thousand people that are going to read it maybe and say, well, gee, that's, you know, forming an opinion about a business based on it. So I, um, I think too, like, um, and a, a lot of the complaints, you know, I was going to say Virgin Australia is a great, Virgin Australia's Twitter presence is a great example of how they take and manage complaints. Um, but for the small business owner who's sitting there listening to us rattle on about, you know, this this subject, it's like, and they're going, well, you know, I don't get a whole lot of complaints via my social media because I'm not that big. But maybe what you need to do is actively promote the fact in your business, whether it be in your shop or on your website or on your business card even, the fact that, hey, if you've got something constructive, if you've got some constructive feedback, uh, hit me up on Twitter um, because that's where I field all complaints and address them immediately or something like that because... Um, as you say, it is a good it is a good channel. Well, and another point though to that, Tim, is the fact that just because people aren't complaining doesn't mean you're getting it right. Mm. And I think that that's a very big mistake to to, Correct. to make because most people will not complain. Mo- vast majority of people won't until they are totally frustrated. And so a lack of feedback of either good or bad is a that's a problem in its own right if you're not getting a lot of feedback uh, one way or the other then that to me indicates you've got a problem in your business mm. yep. you need to 
to be getting both. That's an indication. These days, that's the world we're living in. It's uh, that, that people, if they're not talking about what you're doing on, on Facebook, if you're not getting any kind of email, hey, that was great, thank you, or whatever the case may be, then um, then 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 you're a beige business. There's a lack of discussion around it. And beige businesses, as we spoke about last time, are not good businesses to have. So Fade into the background. Background, mate. Let's move on. Talking about this, and this is a great lead-in to this. We're very clever the way this has led into this. I'm mate, most impressed. I'm going to call. Is, I'm going to call you Captain Segway. <laughs> <laughs> is it, well, in in recognition of yesterday's International Talk Like a Pirate Day, Captain Segway's correct. Not correct. Is it enough to meet customer expectations these days, Tim? Wow. Big question, and I know your view on this. Um, my first question back at you on that one before I answer, give you my thoughts is um, what are your customers' expectations? Or not yours specifically, but, but who's actually setting the expectations in the first place? Is it the customer's expectations or is it the business that should be setting the expectations that they need to meet or exceed? Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful, wonderful question. Well, thank you. Difficult one in retrospect as well because, I mean, often now, again, part of this, the world is changing. Customers often don't know what to expect. You know, that's part of the process. The first time you go to a foreign country, who knows what to expect apart from what we've read about on, you know, on the online or in a Lonely Planet book. I mean, so customer expectations are changing a lot. But the reality is that uh, in, my, in my view, if you don't make the effort to find out what your customers are expecting from you now, you know, what, what are the things that are most important to them? If you, if you don't have enough clear information about that, it is impossible to ever meet those expectations and impossible to even more importantly exceed those expectations. Very interesting. I was listening to a conversation yesterday about Chinese tourists coming to Australia. Now, where I live in my part of the world, we've had a lot of Japanese tourists here for many years. And in Australian sense, it's easy to to think that Japanese tourists and Chinese tourists are going to be really similar. You know, they're going to want the same experiences, want the same kind of uh, restaurants or whatever the case may be. And we had this wonderful presentation by a lady called Therese Phillips from Tourism Queensland. And she said, and that's a really big mistake because Chinese tourists are completely different. You know, they, 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 they'll they only want to see one kangaroo. They don't want to see a kangaroo in Melbourne, Sydney and Cairns, mm-hmm. you know. They, they want to do uh, adventure. They don't want safe. They want to be a little bit crazy and do a few more crazy things. They, they'll only go to a city if there's an iPhone app for that city in Chinese. If there's no iPhone apps, they, they won't go there. They, a lot of these tourists consider Australia to be not that developed. We're not like America or England. We're kind of like, you know, the country bumpkins mm-hmm. of the Western world. And it's interesting because you go, wow, okay, it's not, none of that is a judgment call. All that is is going, okay, so this is what these people, their expectations are. And you go, well, okay, so now we know we can do something with it and make sure we market properly and make sure we can exceed those expectations however we can. And straight away, we've got to paint a couple of kangaroos purple up here to get people to come up here if they've seen the normal brand ones down in Melbourne. So, so, so here's the question. What constitutes success for your customer? I think it's a great question. In fact, I, I, it's a question that I ask when I get approached by a, a potential new customer going forward. Say, so, okay, you know, what will constitute success? And let's work back from then, and then I can construct something that is either that, that, that I know will will meet that success criteria, and then exceed it. And and the second, so I love I love that question. In fact, I've got that question written on my whiteboard. Ag, 
The second part of that is, um, and mm, is this a digression? Not sure. We almost need a sound effect for my digressions, don't we? But um, so many small small businesses, when I ask them, what's the best marketing they ever do? They say, oh, word of mouth. Yeah, no, no, word of mouth works every time. But when you, word of mouth isn't a marketing strategy, word of mouth's an outcome. When you exceed customer expectations, that's a marketing strategy and that results in word of mouth. Well, and, and a fabulous point, but it actually needs to be considered as a strategy, not a byproduct. What, word of mouth? Generating word of mouth, or a bit more Oh, yeah. Exceeding expectations, because I think I don't think that just happens. I, I think a business has to be really smart about it. They got to someone's got to be sitting down and going, "How the heck am I going to exceed our customer expectations today? Mm-hmm. What am, what can we, what can we do to make our meet and greet absolutely blow them out of the water? What can we do to make our our paperwork, our follow up, our this, the product that we deliver, our every everything." everything. And, and and I tell you, say to people, for me, one of the things that I do, mate, is I go through and make a list of every possible opportunity for that cust- for that business to 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 blow their customers out of the water with expectations, and then figure out a strategy for each and every interaction. Sometimes you might have a hundred things on a page, and you go, okay, well, we got to start at the start at the top. That, that's a great exercise, AJ. I love that. I love that. Wonderful. Now, the thing is that most of the time, those hundred things will cost nothing, absolutely nothing. They're, they're not about, well, we've got to, you know, get a zip power wham machine in here. or do. Most of it is about stand up, move behind the desk, walk out and shake someone's hand when they come in the door, if, you know, or whatever the business might yeah, be, you know. Yeah, yeah. Crazy lot, idea. It's wonderful little things, you know. It's about getting to know people. I had a restaurant, and we what we did was we put up a notice board out the side of the toilets when people are waiting of all the staff, and we got all the staff to to list the things that they do, what they do in the business, what they love, what they hate, their greatest success, the thing they're most embarrassed about, whatever it was. And every staff member, everyone had a lot of fun with it, but the, the customers loved it. They went back out front, and they're talking, and there's Sam, and there's George, and there's Mary, and there's Bill, and well, you see, you're, you're a bongo player, you know, like all this stuff, this wonderful interaction. And our surveys of people, it's amazing for this restaurant. That was the one thing that most people loved the most, yep. more than the food, more than anything else, and they rated the restaurant really, really highly, but it was that, that wonderful distinctiveness. So many businesses are so beige, and I know it's a point that I harp on a lot, but, but if you really want to get fantastic at customer, at exceeding your customer's expectations, just saying it doesn't do it. Just having this, this vague kind of strategy doesn't do it. You really got to dig deeper at every single point in there, from sending out a letter to sending an email to, to your email signature. There are so many things you can do. On, on that, just to, just to wrap that point, it's, it's a big point. Um, it, when you do exceed expectations, do you think it's valid to let a customer know? And I don't mean, you know, tap them on the shoulder and go, oh, listen, by the way, Peter, I know you expected this and we delivered this, but is there sometimes a way of um, actually, you know, just letting them know as opposed to the point being missed? Absolutely. Every time, shamelessly. Shamelessly. <laughs> I love it. Now, as an example for that, something I'll always advise my clients to do is if, you, if you're an invoicing kind of a business, is say to them, okay, when we're, when we're invoicing kind of businesses, you know, we, we always give stuff for free. We might spend an extra few hours. We might go above and beyond the call of duty. You always put that in your invoice and you go, two hours time, FOC. 
You know, two hours time free working on this. You know, you 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 let people know when you've done something extra. Now, okay, is that a little bit vain or whatever? They won't know. They won't. You know, and they won't know that you've dim you've you've gone above and beyond the call of duty a lot of time because it was a month ago. Who who remembers what we did yesterday? Let alone a month ago. You know, from that point of view. So. So it's kind of, for me, you've got to be looking at that and saying to someone, if you give them something, you go above and beyond, say it in a nice way. I'm not going to charge you for that because you're one of our most valued clients or valued customers or or you put it in writing or you do it. That's a great way to really generate word of mouth. And interestingly enough, it is always those little things that are so profound in building a great relationship with your customers and clients. I've seen so many businesses burn clients over a few cents, and that's my one of my greatest moaning sessions of all Timbo is mean client, mean businesses. They're so miserable. They've still got the first penny they've ever made. They're, it's a Tyrannosaurus Rex business where they've got little arms and really deep pockets, you know, kind of they, 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 they charge per grain of salt. You know, yeah. you go to the, you pay per piece of paper almost. Uh, you know, I, I know that's a bit extreme, but everything just reads mean. You know, you've got to be generous in business. I, 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 it's yeah. one of my beliefs of of giving stuff away and, you know, it, you, the more you give, the more you get. Well, mate, that's almost a spiritual discussion for another time, isn't it? Give what You, you get what you give. Uh, now, now, do we do we dare go into this last topic? I think so. We'll, we'll quickly touch on it. This this last topic, uh, I, I think um, we, we we may stretch out into future episodes, and it's quite a personal topic, and uh, it's a good one. So, over to you. Uh, well, okay, for me, it, <laughs> this is an interesting point. I, you know, I've written a few books, and and I always laugh around and talk to people and say that you know what, my books are basically journals of all of the mistakes that I've made in business, and that's run out of material because I keep making mistakes in business over you know many 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 years these days, and it's and it's an interesting thing, you know, like asking yourself what are the biggest mistakes you've made in business. Uh, you know, for me, I've done it all. I've been undercapitalized. I've I've had um, the wrong business partners, had terrible business partners. I've, um, you know, I've uh, I've invested in business that I shouldn't have, that I didn't know, didn't understand, etc. And and I think you know, you, if you're not making mistakes, well, you're not trying flaming hard enough, is my view. We all make mistakes, and and that's not a bad thing. What's most important though is obviously that we're learning something from our mistakes. Yep. And that's the moral to the story, saying, okay, don't beat yourself up. Don't. And I see so many business owners that just flog themselves to death because they've made a mistake. And I've kind of gone, you know what? It, it's wonderful. I'd much rather you sat here and told me about all the mistakes you've made than you, you kind of kept that to yourself because you're embarrassed. Because at least I can make you feel better to say, any mistake you've made, I can double it. Correct. If not triple it and quadruple it, but what have you learned? And and often if I'm coaching people or doing stuff like that, mate, the first place I start for them is okay. Well, this is where you're at. I get that you've made these mistakes, but but what would you do next time? How would you do it different? You know, forget about beating yourself up. Let's we can solve that problem. But how are we going to do something about it? How can we make it better? How can we improve? How can we learn from this experience? Very freeing. Very freeing to acknowledge uh, one's errors. Oh, it, it it is, and 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 there's there's value in failure, and and failure is such a harsh word. We think of oh, failure, isn't it terrible? But the the reality is that we all fail at things from time to time. That's just life. You just got to reprogram it and say, well, again, it's it's okay. It's part of it. I I look at you know my first business was a dive shop in Sydney. Man, that was my university degree. I got a PhD in. 
in small business mistakes, uh, you know, in a matter of three or four years. But wow, has they saved me probably millions of dollars in the next 25 odd years. Out of doubt, they have. And it's always that, well, I've learned this lesson. I won't make this mistake again. And, uh, and I, and I love hearing about people who are not afraid to admit their mistakes and they're not afraid to kind of document them. And, you know, I, I did an exercise a few years ago where I did literally go through and do what are the top 10 mistakes I've made and probably continued to make in business. And, okay, what, what have I got to learn out of these? And, uh, and, you know, and came up with my little set of, okay, well, these are now my code, my own personal code for doing business to avoid making as many mistakes. I, I think it's, it's powerful. I mean, you know, what about you, mate? What's your experience in this? Oh, mate, I, 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 I will always acknowledge my mistakes, whether openly or just to myself. And sometimes, you know, I might tap someone on the shoulder, even you know, yourself and say, hey, what do you reckon about this? I did this, wasn't happy with it. You know, what do you reckon? But... Some of the mistakes, um, one of the major ones, when you posed this question to me in our, in our little pre-production meeting, two, two things came to mind immediately for me. One is not following my heart, particularly in the early days. And I still, I still have to be really strong here and, and, and um, remind myself about what I feel versus what I think. In business, and, and I know there'll be people out there who completely just don't get this, and who everything's driven by what they think. Um, but I'm a very emotional type marketer and emotional type business owner, so following my heart, what's right. So in the very early days, you know, I did marketing at university, um, and I then fell straight into a man, not a, a management type position within an advertising agency. Now, the advertising agency environment for me was very right. But back then, something felt out of alignment. And what was out of alignment was I shouldn't have gone into management. I should have gone into creative. And I just didn't acknowledge that creative side of me. And I don't think many of us do. I think many of us will go, oh, we're not creative. I'm not creative. Bullshit. We're all creative. Um, we just don't honour it enough. We're creative beings. So for me, uh, a first mistake, or not first mistake, but a big mistake was just to not spend enough time in creativity mode. And that's why I love podcasting so much because for me, it's such a creative outlet and it's become a successful podcast. And it's proved to me that, you know, when I listen to my heart and follow my passion, um, it works. And you know what? My interview last week was with this guy, Eugene Tan, who has a business called Aquabumps. He goes down to Bond. He was stuck in a corporate jungle, a creative director at an advertising agency, funny enough. Um, he goes down to Bondi now. He's been going down to Bondi every day since 1999 and taking photos and publishing them on the internet. Uh, and he does what he loves. And as a result, he's built a really, really big business out of it. So that's the first one, AG. The second one, and it's kind of related, I guess, is just not saying no enough. Big, big mistake, you know. Um, there's power in saying no. I talked about it in my interview with Eugene, so I won't rattle on too much about it about it anymore. But I think it's a big mistake. Personally, I find, and, and I'm sure many people listening are nodding their head going, yeah, you know, like, got to say no to more things because when you say no to stuff, it frees you up to do the stuff you really love. I couldn't agree more with both of your examples, though, that following your heart and learning to say no are certainly two lessons in my life. And you're right. I mean, I, I know that some people go, oh, it's a bit kumbaya-ish to... <laughs> Do you want to explain that? <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, it's a bit, you know, let's all stand in a group and hug. Yeah. But the 
really is that when you do follow your heart, you make better decisions. You learn how to say no. I, I think in small business, the greatest thing we've got to learn to say no about is about taking on the wrong kind of clients, the wrong kind of customers. Sometimes you've got to say to someone, hey, look, I just can't meet your expectations. How about you go somewhere else, you know? And that's why small business to be able to say stuff like that. But, you know, again, as we get a little bit older or, or or we finally get it enough, we stand up and we do these things. We go, you know what, I'm not happy. It's time I followed my heart. Or if you own your own business and you, you know, you have the power to change the direction of it. And I think we give that power away at times. We go, oh, I couldn't change that because I lose all my clients. I hear that a lot. You know, I couldn't stop doing that. And you go, really? Do you think you couldn't stop doing that? Or, you know, do you actually believe that you couldn't stop doing that? Is it just, you know, getting a little bit uncomfortable, offering something different, changing your trading hours, introducing a new service, a new product, a new whatever it might be. It's it's a little bit scary to be doing that kind of stuff. So, uh, but it's interesting. We've got to be trying. We've got to be, you know, I don't know, learning from the mistakes that we make, but, but keep making mistakes is a point I really want to make. You know, don't beat yourself up about it. Go, well, I buggered that up, but fantastic. I'm going to give myself a pat on the back because at least I tried it. And success now is going to be a lot more in the coming years about trying new things. And it might be a bit uncomfortable. It might taste a bit strange. It might smell a bit funny, but you've got to try new things on a regular basis. And uh, and I think that's probably a place to end today. AG, I've got a question for you. A couple of times during this episode of Funny Business, you've, you've warned people against becoming a beige business, right? Just... What? Just what if? What if, but the colour beige comes back into vogue? <laughs> hey? The, what do you the, do then? Go back and we're going to have to change every interview. We've <laughs> got about a 1,000 articles that I'm going to have to change. In fact, I think I'm just going to have to change my name and probably <laughs> go and live in a, uh, in a third world country for several years until beige goes out of fashion again. Love it. You're a silly duffer and I love you for it and... AG, I reckon that was a great, uh, a great chinwag around many aspects of business. Um, and, and listeners, you know, if you've got um, an aspect of business or a business idea or something you've seen in business, an observation, whatever it may be, let us know and we'll tackle it in an upcoming episode of Funny Business, which comes out every fourth episode of the Small Business Big Marketing Show is dedicated to AG and I tackling the very, very big problems uh, and having a bit of a hit and a giggle at the same time. Mate, enough of that. Thanks for the, thanks for another great ep and see you next time. Wonderful. Thanks very much, folks. Uh, always great to have a chat. Thanks, Timbo. Always love the opportunity, mate. Take care, folks. You couldn't wind up. You, you, I thought you were going to keep going then. <laughs> <laughs> see you, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that banter between Andrew and I. If you've got any feedback whatsoever, uh, go to the show notes, smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, episode 102, and tell us what you think. Let us know if you want us to cover anything in the future. Couple of things in regards to upcoming guests, guys. Um, I've got Rebecca, who's the founder of Street, which is just an amazing Melbourne charity that is helping Homeless young people get long-term jobs in the hospitality industry, and they're doing it through starting street cafes throughout Melbourne. Absolutely fantastic idea, and they're marketing themselves really well. So uh, can't wait for that. Whilst we're on the theme of food, uh, in about two weeks' time, um, I've got an interview with a fellow who just won uh, – in fact, a fellow – he's a cafe owner in Philadelphia who just won – 
sandwich of the year, best sandwich of the year in the whole of the United States of America. Now, I'm guessing there's a few sandwich shops in the United States of America, so that is no mean feat to win that award. Um, thanks for tuning in, guys. Smallbusinessbigmarketing.com is the place to visit if you want to become part of the tribe. Would love to hear from you. You can send me a voicemail message from there as well or an email. And um, look forward to seeing you next time. Until then... Have a real crack with your marketing. See ya. You've been listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show with Tim Reid. Want more marketing goodness? Then visit smallbusinessbigmarketing.com.